Hey guys, we're back here with another episode of Chasing Birdies and uh, my man. What's up, buddy? Dude, it's good seeing you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, you look yeah. pretty fresh, bud. Hey, dude, I'm, I'm here for it. You know, we got uh, a lot of good things happening over here at Chasing Birdies. Um, and I'm just excited about life, man. It's good. You know? It's good. So and how's the golf game been, man? Dude, I tell you what, uh, it's coming around, uh, even though we're at the end of the year. Uh, it's I feel a good like time for it to come around, but <laughs> just in time for winter. No, but seriously, um, it's it's not as bad as it was. And uh, getting some good practice in. You and I just recently played a little golf, and Ooh, a little two man. Yeah, man, and that's something that we'll be uh, bringing to y'all here in a couple weeks, hopefully. But how's your game? <sighs> it's a lot of hit and a lot of miss. So yeah. if that makes sense, right? Um, it's not terrible, uh, but it's not good. It's just right there. I'm not really making an effort at it right now. It's, uh, I think it's the end of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, your season's just ramping up, yeah. uh, as a lot of us know. Yeah. Uh, the tour of Ryan Bashauer never, never ends. Oh, it's ending uh, this year, though. I think I'm going to ski a little bit this year. Yeah? Yeah, bud. Yeah, that's one thing that you'll learn about uh, my counterpart here is that uh, he'll pick something up quickly, be all in for about two weeks, and then you never see him do it again. So, um. <laughs> It's a uh, oh, shit, man. That's funny. What? No, so the Ryder Cup. I mean, we haven't really talked about the Ryder. The Ryder Cup. Cup was impressive. I mean, again, everybody's saying you see Tiger and Phil. They they were the problem. Yeah, they're the problem. All right. Yeah, yeah. Domination, domination. Yeah. Michael Jordan was the problem for the Bulls too. Um, <sighs> but it was impressive to watch. A lot of young guys stepped up to the plate, hit some shots that were. I mean, in that moment, pressure. Pretty pretty yeah. badass at that age. And um more how good is Morikawa? Dude, he's just he's like automatic. It's, but he hits his six iron closer mm-hmm. than I hit my fifty four degree wedge. And that's a stat. I, I I've said that before on the show, guys. Morikawa is more accurate with his six iron than tour players are with their wedges. And it's a fact. But I tell you Are tell you, you taking that to the bank? Because we're pretty big, man, and somebody gets a hold of this stat. And it's not true. No, it could be ruined. No, I take it to the bank. That that's a fact. All right. I tell you what's what's a fact as well is um, getting into some Pittsburgh sports here. The Steelers are just god awful, man. Huh? They're bad. I mean, it's football season here in Southwest PA, North Central West Virginia. The Mountaineers are not doing well at all. Uh, sorry, West Virginia fans. I am one, but they look not that good. And uh, naturally, the Steelers are on a struggle bus as well. Uh, yeah. The it's tough. I think it's it's a wrap for my man Ben, which he's really not my man. But I, I think it's it's over, bud. I saw a uh, I saw a picture the other day of it, it was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with uh, what's that old guy's name Shredder or mm-hmm. and, and that was Ben with the two little turtles being Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, and uh, the cat from Cincinnati. And uh, now they had a picture of old Shredder. Walking hunched over with the turtles all carrying him, and they're all three and one, and we're sitting here at one and three. But getting into the Pittsburgh sports, we got the hockey season getting underway. Dude, the, the uh, I got a funny story. Yeah, go we're ahead. Tell, we're so um, go to go to Tampa, Florida, with some with with a buddy of mine, Brandon, and, and we're we're at a uh, a trade show, and uh, we're gonna take some clients to. A hockey game that night, Tampa uh-huh. Bay Lightning, or it's a preseason game, but it was cool just to take some clients. So our hotel overlooks uh, the arena in Tampa, and uh, our buddy from 44, Jamie, was kind enough to hook us up with uh, some tickets, and uh, we're getting ready at 6.15. We look down at the arena, and there's not a single soul walking around. So I'm like, this is really weird, man, but whatever. We all meet in the lobby. We walk over at 6.45. And uh, there's still not a soul walking around the arena. And it says on the tickets, Florida Panthers at Tampa Bay Lightning. Hmm. So a Florida Panther fan's walking in, and he's looking around like, what the hell's going on here? Well, he looks at his phone, he said, oh, shit. The game's in Orlando. <laughs> so, needless to say, we so didn't you, go to Orlando for the so game. So you guys were at the arena waiting for this game. Yeah, but we had a Orlando. sweet P1. No wonder it was a sweet it was in Orlando, though. Yeah, bud. So it was. You know, I don't get embarrassed very easily. That was a little embarrassing there. Um, but hey, hey, you man. win some, you lose some. 
throw a couple tickets at Will Call. Yep, and pick them up and uh, be in the wrong city. But, you know, that kind of is in line with our guest today. You know, we The we, old two-niner. Uh, two a lot niner. of people that listen to this show know of him. If you don't know of him, he is hilarious. Uh, he had a very, very nice career here in Pittsburgh and, and in the Rangers and a quick stint in Ottawa. Uh, but he is hilarious, and this guy has stories for days. And, days. Uh, I mean, I would have loved to have been around him when he had that cup for two years back-to-back mm. as a player. Five-time Stanley Cup champion. Yeah. I mean, and we got Phil Bork coming to your ears. And again, the old 2-9er. He's now the radio play, uh, play-by-play guy uh, for the Penguins, and he has three cups as the radio play-by-play. Mm. Two as a player. That makes five. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. It was a great interview, so we can't wait to bring it to you. So we're going to roll this bad boy right into Phil Bork, and we hope you all enjoy this episode. As you all know by now, Chase and Birdies is proud to be partners with Holderness and Bourne. Check them out online at hbgolf.com. Holderness and Bourne makes fabulous pieces that help you look good on the course, even if your game is not up to par. Check out their new arrivals now for this golf season. Also, head on over to ChasingBirdies.com to get some custom Chasing Birdie gear from Holderness and Bourne. We'll continue to drop these pieces through every season. That's ChasingBirdies.com and Holderness and Bourne at HBGolf.com. Hey guys, thanks for uh, listening again to another episode of Chasing Birdies. We're coming at you today from the Dirty Dog Cigar Shop in, where are we, McKeesport? Yeah, we're in McKeesport, buddy. Yeah. With a... Stanley Cup champion sitting here to my right, Mr. Phil Bork. Phil, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Well, he's a two-time Stanley Cup. Two-time. Two-time Stanley Cup champion, player, three-time as an announcer. Five rings. Yeah. There's only a couple of us that have the five rings. Mario Lemieux, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Bob Erie, obviously. Okay. And uh, one other guy, Gilles Malosh. If you remember Gilles Malosh. Goalie. uh, Goaltender coach, scout so we're the only guys to have all five Stanley Cup rings. You have five engagement rings out there somewhere. Yeah. All right now, bud. Um, <laughs> he didn't so say no. <laughs> we, uh, you know, funny enough, Jonathan and I met on the ice at Mon Valley at Ross Draver back in the day. Yeah. We were a little uh, I was a right winger. You were a left winger. We, yeah. we did it. Yeah, man. So that's how we go back to meeting. Nice. And then. Yeah. And you then, see it worked out. Obviously. Yeah. Now I'm stuck yeah. with him. It's like glue. But it's great, man. So let's. Let's talk a little bit about your career. You were drafted, un- undrafted, and then signed by the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1980? 1982. I graduated high school in 1980. But, um, you know, back then, obviously, the uh, U.S. Olympic team had just won gold. Mm-hmm. And my goal, really, from when I was probably about 12, to get to the NHL. I couldn't get there fast enough. I had a passion to play in the NHL. Like, I, I can't even put it into words. And so back in those uh, late 70s, early 80s, I think the percentage of U.S. kids playing in the NHL were maybe 20%, maybe even less than that. There weren't that many. It was almost all Canadians, and you'd sprinkle in a couple of Euros. That's but, crazy. But I was hell-bent. I was going to get there. My dad just wanted me to play college hockey because he didn't want to pay for college. He wanted me to get the scholarship. Yep. So long story short, our high school teams playing in the Boston Garden in the state tournament. And a, a gentleman, gentleman G, uh, um, Jean Rattel, who was playing for the Boston Bruins, saw me play. Long story short, next thing I know, Jean Rattel is sitting in my living room um, consulting me and my family about, you know, hey, what do you want to do? I think you're a pretty good hockey player. Can you imagine this? This is like, I don't know, this is like Jake Gensel, you know, going to some kid in McKeesport. Saw, saw him play a high school hockey game. Next thing you know, he's in his living room. So anyways... I get a tryout to play junior hockey up in Kingston, Ontario. And I go actually go up there for uh, two or three days just for the tryout. And the coach just said, hey, just come try it out and uh, see what you want to do. After two or three days, coach calls me in his office. This is like it was yesterday, Jonathan. Calls me in the office, just like you and I are sitting here. He goes, uh, hey, man, like, uh, I like the way you play. I, I'd like to have you on my hockey team. I said, wow, man, I love it here. I, I want to stay. I said, hey, coach, I looked him in the eye. You got to remember, I, I just turned 18. I got kind of a chip on my shoulder. I'm a little bit of a cocky, not quite arrogant, but cocky kid. And I looked him right in the eye. I said, hey, coach, will you write down the names of the players that I just played against? 
that have already been drafted by NHL clubs. And I kind of knew who they were, but he jotted them down like a post-it note, and he gave me the piece of paper. I looked at the piece of paper. I put it down on the table. I turned it around to face him again. I pushed it back to him. I looked him right in the eye like I'm looking you right in the eye right now. And I said, hey, coach, I'm as good if not better than those guys. I want to stay. He goes, that's good enough for me. He reached inside his pocket, gave me $300 in cash, said, call your mom and dad. Tell them to send your stuff up, your clothes, whatever you need. Uh, here's, here's some money. Go buy some toiletries. Go buy some stuff you're going to need. Uh, and I'll pick up the phone. I'll get you a billet family to live with. And really, that was when I was 18. And I haven't been home. But to, to get back to your point, those two years in junior hockey, I thought I was going to get drafted. I get an agent, the whole thing. And once you play junior hockey, you get paid 80 bucks a week. 40 bucks goes, 40 bucks goes into a savings account, 40 bucks cash. And that was my like my gas money. And uh-huh. If I wanted to take a you know a lady friend out for a movie or something, I had to make that forty bucks a work. week work, right? But I had a couple good years in junior. I had an agent. He told me I was going to get drafted, but I don't get drafted. But but after the draft, I get two phone calls. One is from the head scout at my hometown, Boston Bruins. The other was from the head scout of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now. I don't know if we want to get into this or not, but my dad and I, we had a very, uh, for choice of better words, uh, abusive relationship, both physically and verbally. So I needed to get the hell away from my dad as far away as possible. Like trying out for the Boston Bruins, as much as I would have loved to play for the Bruins, it would have been great, but that's where my not dad good was. for you, yeah. So I accepted, and you remember back in the early 80s, the Penguins, they sucked, right? So I figured my chances are better to play for the Penguins than the Bruins. I accepted the offer. Borrowed my mom's 1978 Mercury Cougar, and I drove to Pittsburgh for a tryout. And the, and, and the conversation with the scout was like, hey, Phil, saw you play junior hockey. We'll give you a couple nights in the hotel, a little bit of meal money, and see what you can do. And that was the start of my career. Wow. What a story so, there. So you go into the locker room, 1982, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Who's on that team? Because Lemieux gets drafted in 85. 80, so. 84. 84. Right, 84. Yeah, he's there for the 84-85 season. Um, Randy Carlisle. Yeah. Um, Rick Kehoe, Pat Boutet, uh, boy, Michelle Dion. I mean, those, those kind of Paul Gardner, Michelle Dion with the goalie mask, the, yeah. the, the beak goalie yeah, the mask. Beak, well, it was classic, right? It was great yeah. with a big, long beak on it. I yeah. mean, it's still, um, some of the other goalies. I know Mark Henry Fleury has put it on his mask yeah. when he was here with the Penguins, but yeah, just a bunch of, just an old, uh, kind of, uh, uh, group of guys that, uh, man, they were, they were rough. So, yeah. so I have a I have a Randy Carlisle story. Oh yeah. With uh, so back in the day, my parents had season tickets from 1980 to 2015, whatever. Um, so in the 80s, you could nobody was at those games. You could go to the glass and sit. Yeah, it's basically pick a section. Now. Yeah, it's like going. To, it's like you know going to the Pirates game now. You know what I mean? yeah. It's like it's like yeah. you, you look. And you remember when people used to wear bags on their heads? Mm-hmm. They wear bags because when the 11 o'clock news was showing highlights of the Penguins, they didn't want, to be they, seen. They, they didn't want people at work the next morning going, hey, jackass, I saw you at yeah. the Penguins game. <laughs> so they put bags over their heads. So wow. 19, I think it might have been 82, my, my dad is, tells me this story. Randy Carlisle's, they're getting pounded, I forget by who, but Carlisle's skating back to the bench. My parents are first row behind the bench. And my mom's crazy. And... uh she stands up and she said, hey, Carlisle, fucking skate. It's not the ice capades. Uh, he looks up at her and goes, fuck you. Uh, Gets, hops back over the boards. And, and that's my mom's claim to fame with Randy Carlisle. Every time she sees him like coaching her, and she's like, I told him. Wow. So She had a fuck you fight with Randy Carlisle. Yeah. With Randy well, that's, Carlisle. That's exciting. That's, that's a claim to fame there yeah. for, for Dev. Huh? Yeah. So yeah. Nice. You, you make the team. In well, let's let's rewind a little bit. They draft Lemieux in '84. What was that like? I mean, being around. I know that you didn't actually get on the team until '88. Right, full time. Right, that's full time. Back and forth. That right. was down in Baltimore in the American Hockey League. Bouncing back and forth. When he come, when he gets drafted, was was you know Sid? When I was that age, yeah. he you knew he was that good, yeah, because the social media, all that. Sure. Was it that? Was it that big? It, it, it was. There was a lot of hype, and you're right. There wasn't social media. There wasn't cell phones. There was none of that. Uh, and but you heard about this kid in in uh, in Montreal that was just lighting it up. His numbers were just off the charts. He's six foot four, six foot five. So I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. So so you know, this is my now my uh, my third training camp with uh, in eighty four eighty five, and I was playing defense at the time. I'm trying to make my mark. As I mentioned, I'm back and forth, back yeah. and forth. I'm, tr- I'm trying to make the hockey team. 
So first scrimmage we have, we're actually at the uh, Mount Lebanon High School rink. That's where we had training camp. And the first training camp, I think to myself, this, this cock, this, this big, you know, first round, first overall pick, I'm going to light him up, you know? So he's coming through the middle of the ice, Jonathan, and I got, I got, I got him all lined up. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to lay this kid, his head's kind of down, you know, and he's kind of like long and gangly and I'm going to make my mark. The coaches, the scouts are all going to see it and be like that poor kid. I want him on my team. He just lit up Lemieux. Right. So I go flying at him. Right. He pulls a 360 move on me. Seamless. Boom. Around me. I basically fall face first onto the ice. I look up, he's gone the other way. I'm like, uh, holy shit, this guy is real. I'm not going to do that again. But that was the first time I kind of like had one of those old man moments of like, this guy's special. So when when you were playing at that point in time, I guess in the early 90s, that's when Yager, what, what, when did they sign Yarmer? 89? 90. 80, or yeah. 90. He was drafted in 90. So the yeah. buzz, was there any type of buzz with those two? Eh, not, not as much. Yeah. I mean, here's another guy, um, you know, Probably one of the top ten, right? Yeah, got to put him top ten all time. Probably when you think about it, when you look at his and numbers and and he's still playing at fifty, uh, which is another whole story. Uh, but um, you know, you could see that this kid had special talent. But if people remember, he didn't speak a lick of English. Yeah, you know, yep. being from Czechoslovakia, he grew up on a farm. But you kind of looked at him and you were like, "Wow, this kid—he got huge legs, a huge ass, and he was just kind of—he's the perfect build for a hockey player." You know, people look look at look at me when I was in my best shape, and they were kind of like, "Wow, I thought you were bigger." They'd say that to me all the time. "Wow, I thought you were bigger." I'm just because they think of athletes in Pittsburgh like football players. You should be built like a football player. You can't play hockey like that. But Yager was built perfect. He had these big hands, right? He had that big rump and the big legs. He had these big wide feet that are perfect for balance and and fending off uh, uh, people in the corner. But it took him actually a while. I remember I got a quick story that. His first year, he used to cut through the middle of the ice. He probably did that in the Checo League and, and could do it all the time. But he used to get lit up like a Christmas tree. And we'd sit on the bench and be like, oh, man. He would just get smoked. And he came back to the bench. And I remember one time he's on the bench, and he was homesick. You know, like this, It was not an easy first year for him. It, it ended well towards the end, but he had some kind of growing pains. And I remember he came to the bench, and he sits down next to me after a tough shift of just getting laid out. And he's, he's kind of got that you, – you ever had that cry where you kind of hyperventilate? Where you, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was loud enough where I, I heard it sitting next to him, and, and some guys down the rest of the bench heard it. And I'm kind of tapping. I'm like, no problem, Yax. Come on, next shift, we'll be, we'll be good. Well, big baritone Kevin Stevens down, about four or five down, hears him crying. He stands up on the bench, and, and you know a bunch of our guys, right, Jonathan? Yeah, like, yeah. like, we're, like, Already, like, yeah. yeah, check your ego at the door. Like, like it, we just, we say things to each other to motivate each other. That if you didn't know us, you'd be like, holy shit, these guys hate each other. Yeah, right. Big Kevin stands up and goes, is he fucking crying? Like, what? Stop that kid from crying. What, what the hell? What the, what the hell's going on here? And I'm just like, Artie, Artie, it's good. He's good. He's good. He's out. Next shift, he'll be good. Yeah. I was just like thinking like, <laughs> you know, here's this kid who ends up being like one of the greatest players. But he went through that moment, man, where he was like, he was crying like yeah. a 12-year-old yeah. that was missing his mommy, you know? Yep. Just kind of lost He found his bit. way eventually, yeah. Man, that's a cool story. So, I mean, yeah. when you're when you're 88, 89, 90, okay, you get Yager in 90, you got Lemieux, Yager, uh, Tommy Barrasso, my all-time favorite, Robbie Brown's there. Um, are you thinking we we got a chance here to win a cup? No. No, we're thinking we we got to make the playoffs. You know, like, yeah. Because the year before, like we made the playoffs in 88, 89, we missed the playoffs in, in 89-90. We lose the last game of the regular season to the Buffalo Sabres in overtime. Uwe Krupp, from the left point, just throws one at the net. It hits Chris Dahlquist, our defenseman in the pants, and deflects in. Because we lost that game in overtime, we missed the playoffs, and the Islanders are in. But that gave us a chance to draft Yager fifth overall in 1990. But anyways, when you start getting Yager, and we got uh, um, eventually Ronnie Francis, and we get Brian Trottier, and we get Joey Mullen, uh -huh. Larry Murphy. Look, I'm just rattling yeah. off all these yeah. Hall of Famers. Can you yeah. freaking believe this? Yeah. I knew we had a good team, obviously, but you never really know. When you throw that mix together, you never you really know. know, right? But, it, you know, when, when, you, when you talk about great teams, you always have to talk about the foot soldiers, right? And I, and I consider myself one of those, and I don't want to talk about myself, but I want to talk about the guys like Bob Erie and guys like Troy Loney and guys like that, and even guys like Jimmy Pack. Like, you're only as strong as your weakest link. 
Uh, we didn't have any weak links because we wouldn't allow it in our locker room. We had a great coach in Badger, Bob Johnson. He was the perfect mix, yeah. you know, but, but Mario's still going through all his back problems. You know what I mean? So we, you never really know. But when we, we got to the playoffs and we win that first round against the New Jersey Devils, you know, where, where Frank Peter Angelo has to come in and make the save in game six. Mm-hmm. We come home and win game seven on a shutout. But that's the way the playoffs are. It doesn't matter who you are. The so up bit, and down. Right? You got... You win one series, especially that first series that's so tough to win. So once we won that first series the way we won it, you just kind of get that little bit of belief, a little bit of belief, and you win the next series, you know, against the Washington Capitals or the Rangers, you know, whoever we played. Uh, you, you solely start to think like, okay, things are starting to line up here. But you never want to get ahead of yourself. Guys, we won game number six against the Minnesota North Stars in our first cup in 1998 to nothing. It wasn't until two minutes left in that game that Mark Recchi was sitting next to me. And I looked at him, and I, and I kind of was able to exhale at that moment. We're up 8 nothing. I think our chances of winning are pretty good, right? Right, mm-hmm. yeah. But it, I, I wouldn't allow myself to relax focused, until though. that moment and just said, hey, Rex, we're going to win the fucking cup. Like, yeah. it, it, that, that was the first chill, moment yeah. I allowed myself because that's how you have to be to win the Stanley Cup. Yep. You know what I mean? So you never, that's a long-winded answer to your yeah. short question, but you never really believe you're going to win it. Until it's in your hand. Yeah. So you win the cup, you have a, a party, and you and obviously everyone that is a Pittsburgh Penguin fan, they know that let's take this this cup down to the river and party. Would you when you guys won that cup, got it back to Pittsburgh, what transpired? I mean, party wise. Are we are the I know the Lemieux party went yeah. to the bottom of the pool yeah. and you were I threw it in. You were the guy. I was the guy, yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of this people need to understand would not happen nowadays. Well, it still happens a little bit, but back then there was not a cup holder, quote unquote, where he's keeper with every, of the cup. Yeah, right. keeper of the cups with you at all times. So tell us, you get the cup to Lemieux's house. Well, let me back up a little bit because we get to the airport and we're flying back from Minnesota after the game, and the uh, pilot of our charter. Saying, hey, I just talked to the tower in Pittsburgh. There's 10,000 people at the airport. We're like, yeah, 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 right. Sure, there are, right? Another 20 minutes go by. Uh, this is your pilot again. And uh, I've just talked to the tower in Pittsburgh. There's now 20,000 people at the airport to greet you guys. We're like, yeah, 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 BS. Another 20 minutes, 30,000. Same, same message. Just, just talk to the tower. 40,000 people are at the airport. I hope you guys are ready for this. Oh, my God. We get to the airport, and they shuttle us through. And this is before, you know, obviously 9-11 and security. There's people at the gate. It's a gauntlet of people. Like, you feared for your life. You don't – if you tripped and fall and fell, you're probably not making it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like – it was kind of crazy. But they didn't prepare for this. So the team had um, school buses waiting for us in the airport parking lot to get us to our cars. Well, it was gridlock. We couldn't go anywhere. Bob Airy's wife was hyperventilating. They were trying to get her a paper bag, you know, so she could breathe into it because she was freaking out because there's people jumping on the bus. It's in, it's in the end of May. It's like 85 degrees out. You're sweating your, your kahunas off, right? Anyways, they divert the buses away from the cars, and we go to Tom Barrasso's house in Swickley. So that's where it all kind of started, mm-hmm. that the, the cup was on the lawn at Tom Barrasso's house. So we're there partying and drinking, drinking out of the cup, blah, 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 blah. It, the sun's about to come up. Myself and Wendell Young and, and Jimmy Pack and a couple of others uh, say, listen, let's, let's take a school bus back. Let's get in our cars. We'll have lots of time to party. We're all exhausted. On our way back, the freaking school bus runs out of gas. Uh-huh. So I'm over by Flockerty Run Road, if you know where that mm-hmm. is, over by the airport where the old airport used to be. And we get out of the bus, and I'm like, I got to get home. So I stick my thumb out. And this guy's driving by, and he goes by me, and he's, I see his neck whip around. He hit, locks up his brakes, throws it in reverse, backs up. He goes, hey, are you Phil Borkin? Didn't you just win the Stanley Cup? I'm like, yeah, man, I need a ride home. He's like, I'm just going to work at the airport, but screw it. Get in. I'll take you home. <laughs> so that's my, kind of, that's my funny story is what did you do after winning the Stanley Cup? Well, I had to thumb a ride home. I had to hitch a ride home because the school bus ran out of gas. That's hilarious. Yeah, but yeah, then Mario has the pool party. And uh, and I end up throwing the cup into the deep end of the pool. But, uh, yeah, shenanigans, man, because, yeah, there was no keeper of the cup. They just kind of trusted you that you weren't going to screw it up. Right. And and how the hell did you get that thing out of the bottom of the pool? Because Good question. Because it's it, hollow. It's hollow. It sunk like a Volkswagen. Yeah. <laughs> so it took about five players because, quick story. So I'm sitting in the hot tub at Mario's just 
palatial house in, in Mount Lebanon. He's got this beautiful in-ground swimming pool. Then there's like this tiered waterfall that has neon lights in it. And and Tom uh, Brasso, our goaltender, had gone up the, the waterfall at the top level and put the cup up there for pictures. It was beautiful. It was great. And so I'm sitting in the hot tub in my in my BVDs, uh, just having the cold beverage, just kind of taking this all in. The music's kind of low, and I'm like, this party is so late. This is not a Stanley Cup party. So I got out of the hot tub, around over the pool I go, and I start hiking up the waterfall like uh, like King Kong up the Empire State Building, you know. Uh-huh. I hike up there and I get the Stanley Cup and I'm I'm sitting there in my in my gachis and I'm on the, the top of the waterfall and I'm holding the cup over my head and that's when a bunch of people came over and they started taking pictures and everything and they're like throw the cup in the pool, throw the cup in the pool and I'm just like I'm just like yeah let's do it and I just heave the thing into the deep end not thinking number one it was hollow Jonathan and it sunk like a rock number one but number two silver. And chlorine oh, no. is not a good mix. Oh. But I'll tell you what, that party got freaking started, man. People started ripping their clothes off. Everybody's jumping, jumping in, in the pool. They've got the cup over the head in the pool. It's just crazy town. And all of a sudden, the music got louder. The beer uh, started flowing, uh, and we just had a blast, man. But we didn't realize we like what we did to the cup because it was just so much chlorine in the pool because you knew a lot of people were going to be there. The next morning, the cup was like a muddy brown. It like it got all like tarnished. So Craig Patrick, we had the parade. It was either it was like two days later we we're gonna have the parade going to the Point State Park, right? That's why I did the let's let's take this down the river and party all summer. So Craig Patrick, the, the way I, the story was told to me, was had to find like a silversmith that was gonna be able to like repair this thing and polish this thing so it'd be ready to go. Wow. Do they do they etch everyone's name on the cup or the team? Yes. All the names. All the names. You're starting with owner, owner, scouts, uh, assistant coaches, trainers. But there's a limit. And I want to say it's something like 56. But I think it's 56. You were the janitor of the Civic Arena. You no. can get on the cup, right? I know. But listen, here's my question. How many layers do they have to keep adding, right? I mean, well, now don't are, they remove layers they and put do. in the Hall of Fame? So the, the cup does not get any taller. So those, the large bands uh-huh. that are on the, the lower half of the cup, so the, the top band, uh, when the bottom band gets full, the top band comes out, gets laid flat, and put in the vault at the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. Because that used to be the Bank of Montreal. They converted it into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So there's a giant vault in the back. So that's where those, those pieces of silver get laid out flat. And then everything gets shifted up, and the new band gets put on the bottom. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so now you guys win the Cup, 91. You're partying all summer. How do you, and again, this is the name of our podcast is Chasing Birdies. So you guys are, are essentially chasing a birdie for the next year to win the Stanley Cup. How do you get motivated with, I mean, again, like you said, the number of Hall of Famers, I don't think people realize how many Hall of Famers were on that team. Um, and then to get motivation for 92 great to question. win back to back. That's a great question. And we struggled. We were not good. You go, go look at our record. It's easy to look up online. Uh, we weren't good. And so we, uh, it was around February, we, we were borderline out of the playoffs, right around that, and we were kind of just wallowing in mediocrity. We uh, were at the, uh, I think, the Western Hotel in Calgary. We're about to do the Western Canada swing. Craig Patrick, our general manager, calls a meeting in one of the, uh, the event rooms. We all gathered together, and it was just one of those coming-to-Jesus moments, you mm-hmm. know? And a bunch of guys stood up in that meeting, uh, you know, Peter Taglianetti, um, Brian Trottier, Ulf Samuelson, just kind of voiced what was wrong. Like, what, what do we have to do to get this thing going? And I said, this is my time. So I stood up and I said, Craig, and, and this is when Badger Bob Johnson, our coach from 91, had passed away from um, brain cancer. Uh, he had died in November. So Scotty Bowman was our head coach, winning his coach in, in hockey history, won multiple cups in, in Montreal. But he was so different from Badger Bob that we didn't gel, we didn't jive, you know? And here we have all these Hall of Famers, but we're sucky. So I stood up and I said, Craig, I don't think we can win with Scotty Bowman as our head coach. The room went silent. But everybody was talking about it. I just, I just felt, you I wanted to win so to friggin' it. bad. I just felt like it needed to be said. Yeah, jump-started. And this is, and this is right. This is, this is where I think our team, and I don't want to take credit for this, but I really feel all the other guys voicing, not displeasure, but what needed to be done on the ice and off the ice. Well, Craig was unbelievable. Craig just said, 
and anybody knows Craig Patrick knows he just has a calmness to him, a coolness to him. Uh, and he's, a, he's really a thinking man's um, type of person. He said, you know, guys, I agree with a lot of the things you're saying. Some of the stuff I do, some of the stuff I don't. The only thing I don't agree with, and he looked me right in the eye in this meeting room, he said, I don't agree with you said, what you said, Borky. I believe we can win with Scotty Bowman, and we will win with Scotty Bowman. I'll go to Scotty. He'll meet you halfway, but you meet him halfway, and let's start winning some hockey games. And he walked out of the room. And we all looked at each other and said, let's fucking go. And that was it. You know? And you look at our record from then, we won that game in Calgary, and we got it going, man. And then we, 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 uh, Skated we took off in 92. No so, so, so you get through the playoffs in 92. Now we're, we're uh, the night before game one against the Chicago Blackhawks in 1992. What's going through your mind uh, for, for an opportunity at back-to-back Stanley Cup? Wow. Um, you're talking, what, uh, 30 years ago? Yeah, it's 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, what am I thinking before game one? Uh, probably like all the other playoff games, a wreck. I don't sleep at night. Um, back then, there wasn't Ambien. It was Halcyon. You mm-hmm. remember that drug, Halcyon? Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was the, it was the Ambien of the, of the 90s. And they ended up banning it because people were like committing crimes over in Europe taking Halcyon. But, but I had a prescription. I used to take Halcyon because I couldn't sleep. I was, I was a wreck. I was one of those guys. And that's why, like, when I played, I was very chatty, kind of mm-hmm. like I am here, you know, like, because when I'm nervous, I talk a lot, you mm-hmm. know. So um, I was probably, my stomach was probably in a knot to the point where you kind of like, you feel like you're going to puke, through, yeah. but you know you have to eat because you need fuel to play the game. Uh, so it was, it was tumultuous. For me, before games, and you and you guys swept them. We swept Chicago. Chicago, they yeah. win the second Stanley Cup. All right, we get the Stanley Cup back. Yep. Party, party time. Par- party time again. Party time again. So yeah. you're thinking, oh shit, here we go again, another summer. Yeah, but now I'm a free agent. My contract's uh-huh. up, so you kind of gotta. So now I'm like, and but a bunch of other guys had to get paid. Yager was was. He's mm-hmm. supposed to get paid. Tom Barrasso was up, and there's a couple other guys. They were kind of before me on the totem pole. You well, know Tommy, I mean? Tommy Barrasso wanted all the money, so. Well, he had expensive <laughs> habits. Yeah, even, <laughs> even more than yours. Yeah. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> no, he loved cars. Yeah. No, that, was, that, was his, that was his thing. I'll tell you a quick story. Before game one in Chicago, this is unbelievable. We're, we're at the, uh, the Drake. We're staying at the Drake. Um, I'm sorry. This isn't before game one. This is before game four, the clinching game. We're staying at the Drake Hotel, which is right on the, uh, Lake Michigan. And Jay Caulfield's my roommate. He's the best. And uh, we, we had this routine. Badger Bob always wanted us to eat oatmeal. I thought oatmeal was like the food of, of winter. Holy you know grail. I mean? they, he'd get you in the morning, come up to you in the morning, skate, you know. He'd come over, he kind of rub your shoulder. He's like, hey, man, how you doing? How's, how you feeling? How you feeling? You ready? You ready to go tonight? Did you have your oatmeal? Did you walk the dog? Like, he was all just all so, you know, like, just these quirky things. You're like, yeah, bitch. I have, I have my, so Jay and I are having our oatmeal at the Drake Hotel. We look down the front of the hotel, pulls up this beautiful black Rolls Royce pulls up. It's gorgeous. And I'm like, Jay, look at that car, man. Like, who, who the hell's driving a car like that? You know, the driver gets out. And uh, he's got the keys in his hand. He's just kind of leaning on the, the front uh, of the car. And look, he's waiting for something. Sure enough, out of the front of the hotel, there comes Tommy Barrasso strolling through. The guy <laughs> tosses Tommy the keys. Tommy gets in the, in the rolls, and off they go. What the hell is going on here? We got, we got game. We're going to clinch tonight. We, we, we can win the cup tonight. Tommy's out driving around in the rolls. I guess <laughs> I guess he bought the car right there, had it shipped to Pittsburgh. He bought it to put pressure on himself to win game four so he can get the bonus money that you get for winning the cup to pay for the rolls. Whoa. <laughs> what? So, Isn't that sick? And, and this like this is a guy sick. he like he was driving Ferrari. He'd drive a Ferrari for a month and then he'd sell it and get like a like a S class Mercedes. He drive that for a couple months. Next thing you know, he's driving something else exotic. You know, it's just it's like just burning through cars and money like I've never seen before. I yeah. mean, in, in, okay, so it's like Pep. Uh, yeah, Toyota Camrys, boys, they run good. So you get the Stanley Cup for a little bit longer this time. You know, generally, you're supposed to get the Stanley Cup for two days. You party with it for two days. You get a phone call from who, and for how long do you have the cup? And yeah, well, Paul, walk us through yeah, that. Paul Martha was the uh, president of the team and was supposed to have the cup for, for a weekend, for three days. And I was supposed to have the cup uh, right after him. 
so he called me and uh, I was uh, not that far. I was living actually uh, in Upper St. Clair. He said, uh, hey, Borky, I'm down at the Civic Arena. I have the cup with me. I just got a call. I got to go out of town. So I see that you're next on the list. If you can get down here before I have to go to the airport to, get, to leave for my business trip, you can have my three days and then just have it for your two days too. I'll get it another time. I friggin', I was, uh, I must have broke every driving law there was. I was in and out of the traffic. I was up on, on curbs and sidewalks. So I ended up having the cup for five days. Now I had one of these big Broncos, not like a, a white OJ Bronco. Mine was, was red. But I put that thing in the back of the Bronco. I had a buddy of mine that lived in the eastern shore of Maryland. I just hopped in my car and just drove, drove. down with him. And I said, hey, just meet. Uh, let's meet for, for a cocktail. And I came walking in with the cup. you know, like, And I took that thing everywhere. A buddy of mine was playing softball like up in Robinson. I showed up at this softball game with a cup. With I, cup. Just wanted, I just wanted to share it with everybody. You know what I mean? So I took it everywhere. What were the reactions of the public? You know, you walk into a bar in Maryland. Yeah. Right. With People the cup. flip out. I mean, they they're just, like, they just freak what out. What the hell? Yeah. Everyone get, knows what the Stanley Cup is. That's yeah. the crazy thing. It's just thing. so unique and so special that the, people, they want to touch it first. They want a picture with it second. And then they want to drink out of it. You know, that, that's, those are the memories that they want. So you had it for more an extended time and you had to do some repairs to the cup. And anybody that knows me knows I'm, I'm not a real handy guy. Like when it comes to putting things together, furniture together and stuff like that, I suck. So, yeah, the night before I was supposed to return it, I had it on my living room floor and I was just kind of looking at the names and just kind of soaking it in, knowing I got to give it back. But I noticed something had come loose on the inside. I was like, oh, shit, I can't, I can't give the cup back with it damaged. So I went underneath my kitchen sink. I had a little red toolbox. I got it. I put it, put it on the living room floor and I, there's a little plastic piece on the bottom of the cup. I just popped it off. I took a pen light, put it in my mouth, and I crawled inside the Stanley Cup. No. Yeah, and when I was in there, I noticed where the original bowl meets the, the rest of the larger part of the cup, just a little nut had come loose. Well, I was like, shit, I can fix that. So I just tightened it up, and it was, I fixed it. I repaired it. But I was, when I was inside with the pen light, I noticed three French guys had engraved their name on the inside. They had repaired the cup back in the 70s, and they just used you know, an engraver. And it said, repaired by, like, René Levesque, Jean-Jacques St. Louis, and, and some other name. And they put a date that they repaired it. Bam, light bulb goes off. I'm like, <laughs> hell, if they can do that, I can do that. So I put, I put some beers on ice. I got a screwdriver. And I put, in quotation marks, I put, enjoy it. Phil Bork, Pittsburgh Penguins, 91-92 Cup Champs. And so forever, I was the only guy to have my name on the outside and the and inside. And the inside. Yeah. Wow, dude, that's that's freaking awesome. Isn't that awesome? What? Yeah. Oh, man. So we'll, we'll get to the good stuff. But so you, you went well, back to It's all good stuff. It, it's I mean, it's but great stuff. Don't discount what you just talked about for the last 31 <laughs> minutes. All right? Your hockey career is at, the, is at the peak right now. Now, where do you go from here as a player, as an individual? Um, you know, because you, you, re, you retired in 2000. Tell us a little bit about the end of your career. And then we're going to get into talking a little bit about uh, our true passion here, a little bit of golf. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, when I left the Penguins, I went to the Rangers um, and basically went for the money. You know, yeah. They were a good team. I had a funny feeling they were going to win. They ended up winning in 94. Uh, and I was there until the trade deadline. And uh-huh. I actually get traded from the Rangers to the Ottawa Senators, which literally was from the penthouse to the outhouse. And I don't mean that in disrespect to the Ottawa Senators. So I don't send me any kind of tweets or emails or anything. At the time, the Rangers were first overall. Ottawa was dead last. So it really went from top to bottom. But my, my career was starting to unravel. I, Real quick, you went from playing with Lemieux and Yager to Gretzky, Messier. No, Gretzky wasn't there yet. Messier. Messier was there. Adam Graves was there. Brian Leach. Mike Richter. Yep. It, was a, it was a really good team. Yeah. And, and Mike Keenan comes in, and he was Iron Mike. Uh-huh. Like he was a son of a bitch. He was, I mean, these guys were just rolling through the league. And the practices were intense. He's screaming at guys. He's calling out Adam Graves, calling him a, you're a pussy, you're soft, you know, stick up for your teammates. It's just like, damn, damn. man. Like, like Iron Mike, man, he just, and he, I think he knew, like, this is their one chance. And they hadn't won since 1940, and they ended up so, so winning. But, but then I, I kind of start, my body starts breaking down. I had a bad climbing accident where I fell f- uh, four stories, broke my neck in five places out in, uh, uh, out by Flagstaff, Arizona, a place called Lake Powell. 
I was out there in the summertime, uh, blew out my knee in Ottawa, ACL reconstruction, uh, two rotator cuffs. And my, so my body's starting to break down, but I'm not ready to give it up yet. So I go, I go from Ottawa, I go to Chicago in the international hockey league. And I'm like, this is crazy. I'm, I'm going to, I'm just beating myself up. Somebody says, why don't you go to Europe? So I go over to Germany and I play over there for, for three years. And that's, that was the way for me to kind of get it out of my system, you know? So I have no regrets. People ask me all the time, do you miss playing Borky? Hell no. I, I played 18 years professional and I milked my body out of every single ounce I had. So I always miss being around the game, but I don't miss lacing up the skates and, and having my, my head beat in by somebody trying to run me through the boards. So what brought, what brought you back to Pittsburgh then? After that, well, that's a good question because I'm from Boston originally. Uh-huh. So when I retired, I went back there, and I was living back there, and uh, I was trying to get a job, and uh, a couple things popped up, and uh, they fell through. Actually, I was up for the TV job before Eddie Olchek got it, and I was kind of like, oh, okay, no problem, I'll take a year off, and I'll, I did everything I I, I I couldn't do in my contract. I bought a motorcycle. Couldn't your contract says you can't do that. I went bungee jumping, and your contract says you can't do that. I jumped out of an airplane. Um, you know, your contract says you can't do it. So I just had fun for a year. Yeah. But the problem was, guys, that year turned into three years for me. I went three years without a paycheck. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Pep or who you are with a big, uh, you yeah. know, uh, mm-hmm. bank account like he has. Right. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you start glancing like, yeah, it's I need going to start down. to work. And uh-huh. only that for my mental health because I was, I was getting depressed, you know, because, I mean, I, I wasn't to have a paycheck. You know, I had no self-worth. You know what I mean? And I was making phone calls to everybody. It just wasn't panning out for whatever reason. Anyways, I ended up calling Mario, Mario Lemieux, and I said, hey, man, I need help. I've gone three years without work. I was bouncing back and forth between Pittsburgh and Boston. He said, meet me up at um, my country club. He's up at uh, Neverwood, and uh, we had lunch up there, and he said, I'll see what I can do. Stay by your phone, but the advice he gave me was, you need to get back into Pittsburgh, get your name and your face out there, and just, get, just start networking. Get out there and stay by your phone. Long story short, he calls me up and says, I think I got something for you. Tom McMillan's going to call you in about a week who was the head of media relations. And uh, that's when Eddie Olchek went from the TV booth to head coach. Bob Erie, who was doing the radio, went from radio to TV. And I slid into the radio job. And that was back in 2003. And, and, and you've been there since? Been there since, yeah. And the cool thing about Lemieux, which you got, you know, you talk, Caulfield, call him the big guy. The cool thing about the big guy is that he genuinely cares about people that, that are in his life. You. Mark Recchi, Rick Tockett, Rick Tockett, yeah. Artie. I mean, yeah. Artie went through a, went through a Kevin lot. Stevens yep. uh, went through a, a lot yeah. in his career, um, and he's still by his side. And a lot yeah. of people would leave him high and dry because yeah. they don't want to associate no, with. That's good, Jonathan. And yeah. um, so f- again, not only is he the top three greatest hockey players of all time, he's an unbelievable guy too. Yeah. So um, incredibly loyal. Yes. Yeah, loyal. Yeah. If if you're if you're lucky enough to be one of those people that he, he lets you in. Um, I, I think about it all the time. I never take my job for granted. I love my job. I love it. I don't want to coach. I don't want to do anything. I love broadcasting games. I like talking about the Penguins. And I always think, like, at that moment, if he didn't help me out, I'll be honest with you guys, I don't know where. where you'd be. I, don't, I really don't know where yeah. I would be uh, because, like, financially, I was, I, was, I was really in a bad place. And I think that a lot of people can say that about the big guy. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was fortunate enough to meet you, uh, through talk Caulfield, uh, those guys. And obviously we've developed a good relationship in the golf world and that's all of our passions here. So tell us a little bit about how you got into golf. Yeah. See the, uh, the Punxsutawney country club Yeti you got going on right now. Oh, do I? Maybe that, or maybe that's, uh, that was, uh, that was, a Freud, filler, that was huh? a Freudian thing, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I didn't even, Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just out there chasing birdies, man. That's right. Yeah. No, no, it's great. Uh, I know I, I love your the name of your your podcast, and you guys are knocking out. I see some of the guests you have. Yeah. Holy frig, man! I'm That's like, wow, let me in the club here. Yeah. Well, I feel honored. I do feel privileged. But you no, know, my dad was a golf fanatic. He was crazy. He had all the all the little the little gimmicky things, all the little mm-hmm. trinkets and stuff, working on his game. But he never took me golfing. I I never played. He was, it was his thing. You know what I mean? And, uh, and again, we didn't have that, that warm and fuzzy relationship. So even if he did ask me, I probably said no. Uh, but then I didn't really pick up the game until my late, until maybe really when I went to the Rangers. And, uh, so I was in my late, I was in my thirties. I was around 30 when I actually 
played a, a few rounds. Where I was like, oh, I kind of like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, when I played for the Rangers, I lived in a cul-de-sac, and there was about seven or eight houses. And the, the guy in the first house of the cul-de-sac, uh, in 1988, he won the New York State Lottery. He won like $24 million, which which was a huge pot back then. You know, they didn't have these two, three, four hundred million dollar pots. But, yeah. but um, he, he was into golf. So I started golfing with him a lot. And uh, I, just, I just had this, this love of it. And when you hit that good shot, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like uh-huh. that pure shot. Mm-hmm. You're uh-huh. just like, oh, man. Uh-huh. There's nothing better, right? Uh-huh. There's nothing better. And so I got the fever. And so I've never had a lesson. You've seen me play. My swing is, is crap. I've, I've had people on a cell phone take a picture of my swing. It's, it's absolutely awful. But every once in a while, more times than not now, I play a good enough game where it's respectable. And it I keeps love you coming the game. Back. And it keeps me coming keeps back. Going. And I don't take it serious. A lot of times I don't even keep score sometimes. Yeah. Because I don't, and cause people tell me all the time, well, I don't want to play golf with you. You're a hockey player. You're probably great. And I'm like, no, I'm not great. Uh, you know what? There's five reasons I play golf. And golf is the last one. Friends, sunshine, cigars, beer, and then golf. Golf. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and, and, That's good. and I'll tell you this much. He smokes about four to five cigars around the golf. Oh, you, guys, you guys together we, smoking cigars. Yeah, we course. light each other's cigars off. I mean. I'm, it's, it's great. Well, there's a connection between golf, golf and hockey. I mean, I know just with the the golf swing kind of relative sure. to, the, to the hockey. And I and all that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you look at all these old NHL players, current NHL players. That's the thing to do right now. They're, I mean, it's the action is there. It's just getting those the techniques down to where you can hit the golf ball. Well, won't you guys agree? And, and this is why, like, Steph Curry and Michael Jordan and, and all these incredible athletes in their sport, they play golf. Why? Because they can't friggin' master it the way they did their yeah. own sport. No. There's nothing more challenging for, for a guy, sports-wise, right, mm-hmm. than golf. Because, like, like I said... You can, you can be a 170-yard par three, and you can stick it next to the pin, right? The next par three, you're 150 yards, and you shank it into yeah. the woods. Like, you just it's, – it's the craziest game. Yeah. So, it's, it, it's one of these love-hate things that we just – we can't get enough of, right? No, can't. And, you know, we've been fortunate enough to play a lot of golf together, Jonathan and I. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have a lot of fun with it. But there's, there's those rounds where him and I are just like, what the hell what is up? happening right now, man? Like – we're not this bad. You mean like, like comes to club championships and stuff like that? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. you know, like yeah. you know, his little yawk thing he did a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And he fumbles, gets to the goal line, fumbles. Oh, what? I, I mean, didn't hear what, what happened. Oh, here we well, go. Well, he lost to someone that can't even hold a club, apparently. That's what he said. But uh, anyways, give him a hall pass. You know, it happens to all of us. It uh, does. And I was at the point, I wanted to quit golf, bud. Yeah, I was close. Did Temporarily. You, did, you, did you just like? I just like, I don't even want to play. Yeah. It's so bad. That it's yeah. Been, I didn't want to play. And then. What about today? Oh, I'll get. Let's go. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll go. Uh, but, and that's the thing that, you know, you look at somebody like Jay Coffey, I'll, I'll use an example. This guy, you've never seen, this guy pounds it, dude, but you don't know where it's going. Well, we played with JT and Vince a couple of weeks ago at Swickley. And I mean, JT. JT Miller and Vince Strzok, yeah. yeah. JT. Kills it, mashes it, right? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. That's stupid. Yeah. So where are you playing around uh, around the area? I'm playing Diamond Run quite okay, a bit because yeah. I, I moved up to Warrendale. Yeah, so I'm up there. I played Cranberry Highlands the other day in oh, no. a, uh, an event, uh, a gorgeous course. Um, but I, I'm really liking Diamond Run. But you know, I've been bebopping around some uh, Pheasant Ridge. I never heard. It's it's never. a little public course uh, that has new ownership guy uh, Mike and Christian up there, and the greens are pristine, man. I, I'm telling you right now. I challenge you to go up there and find another public course in Southwestern or, or in all of PA that has better greens than Pheasant mm-hmm. Ridge. Wow. Yeah. I never even heard of it. Yeah. It's it's just a it's a little honey hole, uh little little track up there that's that's really good. Um you know, I'll I'll bop over to Allegheny yeah. if I've got somebody to play with over there. Swickley Heights is another great course. So um Well Eric yeah. Eric Tangrady is always looking for a game at Allegheny. I mean, I know he's got Three or four on his short list. So okay, I'm sure he's always open for a game. Okay, <laughs> um, to you, what's the best golf course that you've ever played? Laurel Valley. That's yeah. what I think. You, you know, JT says that. Yeah. Ben says that. I think it's the whole experience too at Laurel Valley. Yeah, you show up, smoke cigars inside. Yeah. I took it a little step further one time. I was they, they. You show up and they say, "Gentlemen, please, this place is yours. Smoke cigars inside, et cetera, et cetera." Yeah. 
So I walk into the pro shop with my cigar lit. No. And my buddy Shane, who's the assistant pro there, says, hey, bud, people want to buy these shirts. Oh, and so the smoke's yeah. going into the shirts and everything. Oh, so that's the only place don't smoke. And that's an amateur <laughs> move. But, man, that, that whole experience, Arnold Palmer, I mean, just everything about Laurel yeah, Valley. Everything about so it. Good. Yeah, there's, there is a prestigeness about it. And this, this, it's a uniqueness about it because it's a bit of a drive for us. Mm-hmm. So it's not a place that you're just going to no. go all the time. Like it, there's a specialness to it that when you go there, you get yeah, it's, it's like, I have a friend that plays Oakmont and I hope that doesn't, doesn't come out the, the wrong way. But I remember uh, once a year I get to play Oakmont with him, a buddy of mine, Jeff. And, and when the round's over, I'm just, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I'm beat up yep. you know, because that course does it to you. Uh, because if you just don't hit the perfect shot, you walk up, you're like, man, that was pure. That felt so good. You're in, you're in a bumper, a bunker. Uh, and you, you know, you got to use a, a 60 degree just to get out and get back in the fairway that, that just it wears you out if you're not a real good golfer. Well, yeah. And it, it does wear you out. It, and, and that's why I always tell people that are going to Laurel Valley, you take your Oakmont experience and it's completely opposite at Laurel Valley. Mm-hmm. Oakmont gentlemen, four hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. It's almost like anybody that I know that plays yeah. Oakmont for the first time. I said, you're not going to remember a hole. Cause yeah. you're like, yeah, go right. Let's go. Especially since they took the trees out. Right. Like, yeah. let's go. We got to keep it going. Yeah. And you, at the end of the round, you're like, I don't even remember anything because we were rushing. Yeah. So No, that's true. Um, Very true. And to you, you've played a lot of golf with, with Mario and Pierre LaRouche and, and Talk and those guys. Who, who, who do you want on, in, on your side for a money game? Pierre. He's a stud. Oh, he's such a stud. Man. That's what yeah, I hear. He has like, this. He, he's a. Uh, that broken French accent. Yeah, but he's, he's very stealth. You know what I mean? He's very unassuming. You know, he's yucking it up. He's got a cigar in his mouth. You know, and you're just like, he's, he's having too much fun to, to stripe one 285 right down the middle. But then he does it. But then he does You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then the same thing. In the middle of the fairway, he's got like a 175 shot. You know, he's got to bend it around the tree. And he's, again, cigar in the mouth, yucking it up. And then he just kind of stands up and bam. He's just like, holy smokes. Like, meanwhile, I'm like over the ball, checking my feet. I'm checking my hands. You know, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the spot like four or five times. I'm asking somebody, what's the number again? What's the number again? You know, like, right? Butterfly flies in front check- of you. I'm going through this checklist, you know. And they probably think I'm like Sergio Garcia or like from eight years ago. You're like, just hit yeah. the frigging ball. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Pierre just stands up and bam. Bam. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about golf, too. The relationships, you're in networking. I mean, that's you make a good amount of your money from networking, too. Um, your, your car dealership yeah. deals and some other things. And, I mean, hey, you, we met each other on the golf course. Yeah. yeah. Probably the worst. No, I, I've, been, you, I've been lucky that way that, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I do have a lot of stuff on the side. And, and golf is a big part of that, right, that a lot of these – uh, relationships with uh, whether it's a CEO of a company mm-hmm. or, or, or somebody else that they kind of, and you're right, it's all about networking. Mm-hmm. And I've been really lucky because when you think of it, guys, there's been some incredible athletes, way better than me, that have come down the turnpike and played around here. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of guys doing a lot of commercials or spokesperson for this or for that. And I've been able to do that to the point now where I, I'm almost worried about am I putting myself out there too much? You know what I mean? I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, saturate it too yeah. much. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to find that balance of of uh, picking and choosing the right things to be a spokesperson for, and and things that that are meaningful to me. Right. Right. I mean, and 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 that's the thing that again, golf. We talk about chasing birdies, but you're chasing birdies in life too. You know, your next deal that you need to sign with, with somebody else, or or radio show. You want to be prime time for the the radio show Absolutely. pregame and. And you want to do your best. So that's why golf, I think, is it's, again, it beats you up. But at the same time, it brings you back and the relationships that you, you, you build from no, golf. You think, it's hard to think of something else. I don't know if you can think of something else where no. if, you, if you're trying to form that relationship with somebody uh, on the business side or friendship side, you know, to take what's the average round of golf? Four and a half, five yeah. hours, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you spend that time in the cart. Oh, you know, yeah. Good shots, bad shots, yep. having a cigar, having a cocktail, whatever it is, and spending that that in close proximity with somebody that you're either going to hate each other or you're going to yep. really like each other. And more times than not, uh, we end up forming, uh, if it's not a business relationship, it's a really good friendship relationship. Now, I've played with you a fair amount, and, and the putter that you use, I mean, the guy's got a, the guy, he's got a putter deal. 
with this company, man. And well, it's, it's, a, it's you're you're embellishing a little bit here. It's actually with Labatt's. Yeah, Labatt's beer. Um, we had the alumni golf outing on the Valley Brook a few years ago. In fact, it's probably close to ten years ago. And uh, I was on the on the putting green, just kind of warming up a little bit. And they had pulled a vehicle up, and they were bringing a bunch of stuff in for the silent auction. And all of a sudden, I saw this hockey stick. I'm just like, hey, man, what's that for? And they're like, oh, it's you put it up on the wall behind your bar. It's it's a hockey stick, but it's kind of a putter too. You know, it's kind of one of those things. I was like, hey, do you mind if I use it? They're like, hell yeah, go ahead. I started draining putts with it. No. I've been using it ever since. It, That's what you use? It's a, it's a hockey stick. But Labatt? Yeah. I mean, it's a freaking, it, it's an advertisement like you've never seen. Labatt's yeah. down yeah, to Labatt's the. Yeah, Labatt's all, all the graphics of Labatt. It's uh, literally, it's how many blue inches? light is all over it. How many inches? Is Too it tall like for you, bud. Wow, I know that. I mean, no, but. it's it's um, it's tall enough, right? I don't look like I'm using no. like a little mini stick. No, it's not. Mini stick. But, but then it, I, I, put, I changed the grip on it. So I put the oversized grip on it. The first time I played with him, I'm like, are you serious right now? I said, yeah, what's wrong with it? He could, literally, it's a hockey stick. The blade is a straight. It looks like it has black tape on it, like yep. you tape your hockey stick. Oh, yeah. But it's just That's photographed cool. on there. And he could put left hand or right hand. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Dude, he would love Pete Dye. Oh. It's, it's, you know, it's a fun, lax environment down here in Bridgeport, West Virginia, Phil. And, yeah. Uh, get well, the beers going. Get the music going. Well, he loves Nemecolon. Which Nemecolon is a sponsor of the Love show. And, and up to, have you been up there since you the peak? You have you heard about the peak? What is the peak? Brand new pool. Um, I think it's like four four feet deep. All kinds of grottos. They have a lazy river now. Huge concert. I heard ven- about venue. this. Dude. I heard about that. Yeah. Maggie was putting some money into this the resort, and uh, there's no special. resort like that place. I tell you a quick story about uh, Shepherd's Rock. Yeah, the grand opening. So for the grand opening, they had that kind of a um, I guess I would call it a pro-am, whatever yeah. you want to call it. So yeah. you go the night before, and they had this this auction, and people could bid on who they want to be their celebrity. Uh-huh. And so Brett Kiesel was there. Um, John Daly was there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, Vince Trocek was there. And so um, I'm with a group of guys, and I end up having a little bit of a late night in the, at the casino till way too late. So I'm, I barely roll up for our tea time. No warm-up, nothing. So our front nine – the guys I was with were pretty good, and we, we did p- pretty well, but we kicked ass on the back nine when I finally sobered up, right? And so so you get in, and the event's over, and they're like, hey, Bork, are you coming in for lunch? You know, like, uh, I'm like, usually sometimes I get out of there, I'm like, no, I'll stick around. Get in there, and people are like, hey, Borky, like, your score was pretty good. I'm like, really? I don't know. I think we were like 15 under or something like that. Ends up being Brett Kiesel was also 15 under. I'm like, oh, oh man, man, what's going on? So before this starts, they ask you, uh, is there a charity that you, if you, if you win the thing, uh, is there a charity? And I didn't ask what the prize was. I don't think a thousand bucks or something like that. Right. So I ended up uh, getting something local out at Fayette County there. They have a no kill animal shelter out there. Friends of animals uh, in Fayette County. I make that my charity. So anyways, they go to the tiebreaker, me and Kiesel. Right. And oh, no. I never heard of this before, but they, they say the back nine is going to be the tiebreaker. Oh. I'm like, really? I'm like we did pretty good. In the back <laughs> nine. So, we, so I end up winning it. So they bring me up. They go, hey, would you mind doing a photo op? You, you, you're the winner. I'm like, okay, great. they one of those big golfers checks, you know? So they got a cameraman. And all that. Thinking, okay, they, so they have a big sharpie and they're like filling out friends of animals of Fayette County, right? And they're about to fill out the amount. And they put a five, and they put the zero, they put a comma. I'm like, oh shit, zero, zero, fifty, 50. grand, fifty grand for this shelter that was all volunteer, all donations, like the, everything. Everything was donations, like from bleach to clean the floors to printer paper. They they needed everything. So wow. when, when we got on a three-way phone call and called them and let them know they were receiving 50 grand from Nemecolon and Shepherd Rock, people fell to their knees crying. Like it was life-changing for this shelter mm-hmm. that like they had side buildings because, again, they keep animals longer. So they had to keep building and building and building because it's no kill. Mm-hmm. You know, they just hope for yeah, people yeah, to come yeah, and, and, take them. and, and uh, adopt these animals. So people literally fell to their knees crying so thankful awesome. that they were being. And, and, and honestly, that's one thing that Nemecolon doesn't get a lot of credit for is people don't realize how much they do in the community uh, for a lot. A lot they're, the, yeah. they're the largest employer in Fayette County. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's again, Good it's spot. awesome. Great so, Uh Check them out. 
still might even play around the golf with you. Hell yeah. Let's yeah. roll into uh, what we call our, our tapping segment, which is our last segment uh, of the show. I'm going to ask you a few questions. You give us what comes to the top of your mind. Shoot. All right. Lowest round of golf and where? 79 at uh, Diamond Run. Okay. Yeah, yeah Mick. Breaking 80. Yeah. yeah. Breaking 80. Amen. Only, uh, that's the only time I've ever broke 80. Wow. Yeah. The, uh, there was legit. A, there was a guy yeah. there named Mickey. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Mickey passed, yeah, yeah. passed away. But this guy took care of, of, of the boys like no other. Um, so Yeah, he ran the locker room and uh, just a, a heart of gold. Um, and just you bringing up his name. You just bring a flush of memories yeah. right oh. now. Yeah. All right. Dream foursome. Dream foursome. Dead or alive. Okay. Uh, Bobby Orr. Elvis. Oh, that's a good one. And Jesus. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Wow. I like that's, it. Bobby Orr. There's a lot going on in that group. Elvis. And Phil Bork. And Jesus. And Phil Bork. Yes. And Phil Bork. Oh, man. You're not Let the good times roll, day. baby. You're not having a bad day. Favorite. <laughs> TCB. Taking care of business. Go ahead. Favorite NHL city. Ooh. Can I give you two, please? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Chicago and Montreal. Huh. Montreal, just for the mystique and the history and the building, the electricity, the the atmosphere, uh, and it's a, it's a great place to call the game, by the way, too. Um, but Chicago, also the stadium, the national anthem, uh, and I just love that Midwest mentality. The restaurants in Chicago are my favorite. Uh, it's it's just it's just what's what what I like. You know, what I mean, I like I like that Midwest mentality where people are just friendly and they're yeah. real. Yeah. Now this last question is. It- You've you've played with a million guys, but who is your favorite teammate? The wrecking ball, Mark Recky. Mark Recky. Yeah, wow. we we lived together um, for a year uh, when I bought my place in Upper St. Clair, and uh, he's just one guy that I don't want to get into all the details because they're kind of personal. But uh, he's done things for me that um, you know, one of those things where I don't know how many close friends you have. One, when I talk about close two. friends, I'm talking about people that you could call at three o'clock in the morning and say, "I'm in trouble. Yeah. I need help. I need three thousand dollars." Yeah, yeah. Someone I mean, do it. Mike Lang's one of those guys for me, also. Oh, uh, yeah. Mark Recky's one of those guys, and I, I think if I really put your feet to the fire, I bet you'd have a hard time coming up with five people. Uh, for most of us, you think you think okay, maybe this guy, maybe that guy, but for yeah. sure, locks, locks. It's tough to come up with five people, yeah. but the wrecking ball is one of those guys for me. Well, that's awesome. Uh, again, we can't thank you for your time. I know it's valuable, and and uh, you're running around, uh, running a taxi service. Your son, <laughs> he's a goaltender. Yeah. Um, so we appreciate you stopping by, chasing birdies, and keep chasing them, bud. I'm gonna keep chasing, yeah. man. You guys keep chasing you. them too. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Thanks. This appreciate is flat it. out awesome. Thank yeah, you. We keep it rolling. It. Yeah, and let's get you on a course, man. Maybe before the snow comes. Let huh? me know. All right. Yeah, before hockey season yeah. starts. Oh, that's true. Get busy. Yeah. Okay, man. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. Appreciate guys. it, brother. Appreciate you. Yep. What a episode that was! Uh, a bo- what? Mm. What are you doing over there? I'm I'm just trying to etch our name inside the uh, member guest trophy on the inside. The but, outside I mean, I know. Well, hey, take it from Phil. Yeah. <laughs> what a guy that Phil Bork is. I mean, he has stories. Uh, hilarious. That Stanley Cup story mm. where he carves his name on the inside of the cup. Oh, my God. Next to the two. <laughs> the uh, guys that uh, the take it. care of the cup. Hilarious. Mm. I mean, it's so funny that, again, it's funny what alcohol will do to you. But, mm. uh, mm-hmm. again, you know, he had some ups and downs in his career. And, I mean, how about Tommy Barrasso? Bud. Blowing through the dough on these vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> And he bought one the day of game four against the Chicago Blackhawks yeah. so that he had pressure on himself mm-hmm. to to buy that car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he took it to the old rink. That's, he took a he took a birdie chance right there. And obviously he That's like you buying that's like leading after three rounds of the uh World Golf Championship in Ecuador, all right? And you go and buy a mm-hmm. car Saturday. Bud, I'd blow that lead so quick. I'm Bud. I know. Me too. I mean, let's be honest. But it was a blast. So, Old 2-Niner, thank you so much for coming on. 
Yes, sir. And uh, yeah, man, we're you know again Nemecolon. Uh, we've been playing a little golf at Nemecolon, and mm-hmm. it is awesome up there right now. So how good. about the dude? You should travel up there to look at some leaves, huh? But I I, I enjoy looking at leaves, and um, you know this fall is going to be really good for me on the leaf scouting and the things. So I mean. It's nature. and yeah, it's beautiful, man. It's organic, and that's I think everybody's all screwed up now because of technology. But, man, get get outside, get some good fresh fall air, get some good fall golf in, smoke a brisket, watch smoke a little Smoke a football, cigar, bud. Smoke a cigar. Smoke whatever you want. It's it's a free world. And, uh, yeah, so, again, Nemecolon, the, the fall foliage right now is awesome. And, again, if, if you want to go check them out, Nemecolon.com, they've really been supportive of us. The golf courses are beautiful with those leaves, the colored leaves right now. It's pretty badass up there. And then mm-hmm. uh, the winter up there is really, really cool too. So that's the cool thing about Nemecolon. You get all four seasons. Yeah. Nemecolon.com. Anyways, bud. Yeah, we, we got a good uh, we got a good episode coming out here next. Yeah. Taking it back to the football realm a little bit with. During college football. Mm-hmm. Former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray. Current CBS analyst, sports CBS sports analyst. Do you know that he leads golf nut? He leads the SEC in touchdowns thrown. Yeah. So Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Tim Couch. Mm-hmm. That's, that's Jared Lorenzen. I mean, the names in the SEC. There's some big names. Yeah. And that, this cat is yeah. he's on top touchdowns. Man. So, so we uh, we'll bring you that episode here on Chasing Birdies on the 28th of October right before Halloween and uh, keep it rolling there on that one with Aaron Murray but for now and stay tuned there might be a little there might be a little treat coming your way over the next two weeks and also please make sure whoever bought something we we did the drawing this past Sunday on social media so go look and see if your name is pulled and we'll we'll be pegging it up at Nemecolon yep we'll get that rolling and thank y'all again for listening to another episode of Chasing Birdies Ryan Bashauer here with Jonathan Pepe. Good, but chasingbirdies.co. I mean, yeah. there, there's swag up there, but don't worry. We got some new swag coming. Holderness and Born, we bought some shirts to put up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be a layering piece, the Ward sweater, and then we're doing some more hats and tri blend t shirts that are as soft as a baby's ass. And we're getting some stuff for the ladies. Yep. We need some ladies looking good in our swag. So stay on the lookout for that, guys. Thank you to Simpler Media for putting this thing together. Rachel London for all her efforts. Have a good day, y'all. See ya.